Welcome back, everyone. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years and have two awesome kids. Yes, we do. If you're interested in just listening in today, we do have our podcast available. And please don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are someone from a polygamous background and you would like to share your story, please feel free to reach out to us at growinguppinpolygamy at gmail.com. We also have our holiday fundraiser going on right now. You can click the link below if you want to donate to Adopting a Room at the Short Creek Dream Center, where one of Warren Jeff's old homes has been turned into a place of refuge for those leaving polygamous communities, particularly the FLDS, where they help them with resources and room and board. So if you want to donate... And thank you all so very much for those of you that have donated. We have reached uh, at least our halfway mark at this point. So thank you all so much for your donations. It's really a great cause. Yes, we are so excited to be reacting to another one of Peter Santanello's Mormonism videos. As some of you know and have heard, and it'll be coming out this Saturday. So that'll be tomorrow from after when this video is coming out. Um, Our video with Peter, where we gave him a tour of Short Creek. Yeah, And Sam talked about growing up in the FLDS, but it's been really fun to react to his other videos on Mormonism within Utah. And when I saw this one, Invited to Mormon Dinner, it like made my heart happy because my whole life, my family were those people that would invite people of all different faiths, all different walks of life into our home and be able to share the gospel with them, share our religion, just take people in all the time. And then same when we got married, like inviting people. So when it says invited to Mormon dinner, it makes me already feel at home. (laughs) So I feel like I'm going to really love reacting to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I just like the way that Peter, he, I like the way that he interacts and the way that he interviews people. So he tries to stay very neutral. He asks great, great questions. So I'm looking forward to see someone from an outsider that wasn't raised in the Mormon belief, you know, some of those questions that he might have for this family. So yeah, we had reacted to his video where he toured Salt Lake and Provo with Mm -hmm. Brock. You can click the link above for that. Super fun. Brock was a great, I feel like, representation and of a typical Latter-day Saint. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to see what these families have to say as well. We'll get into it. Here we go. Utah County, so that's Provo, Lehigh area. This is where Brock was saying it's 90% LDS in Utah County. That's a lot. David, what's up, How man? you doing? How you doing? Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you, too. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, what are you talking about? You're in our house. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. So, guys, this wonderful LDS family, uh, David. Yes. Jennifer. Invited us in. Brought some of their friends along. It's always great to to break bread or or pizza crust (laughs) and have a good conversation. So thank you for bringing me in. It's an honor. Because then we get to understand your guys' world better. And I'm already shocked, honestly, because the amount of friendliness, down to the, the clerk at the gas station, the people have been very nice. And then you guys open for this, and I thought it would be more closed, to be honest. I think, I think you'll fi- find it anywhere yeah. around yeah. here. Yeah. Everyone's Very pretty welcome. open. Yeah. yeah. We usually have a prayer before we eat, so I, you're welcome to get that on camera. Yeah. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for allowing us this opportunity to be gathered here today. Thank you so much for allowing Peter to come to our home, and uh, we pray that we through your spirit, and that we may be able to properly convey our, our thoughts and speak eloquently, and, and also... 
Um, doing a good job representing the Father, we pray for the food that we will partake of, that it may be good for our bodies. We are thankful, Father, for uh, life and health and all the blessings that was given us. We ask for thy spirit to be with us always, and that your spirit may be filled here in this home. And we say this humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I, I wanted to say amen. I know, right? <laughs> that is a very, I don't know if you want to say traditional, but a very typical prayer that you would hear in an LDS family. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the things are very, even from young age in primary, like growing up in primary, which is like um, youth from three to 11, we're very much taught the specific order in prayers that we do. Mm -hmm. So it's you open up, you know, dear Heavenly Father, you always say Heavenly Father or Father in Heaven, but they always call it, we always call it, say Father. So you open up with that. You always say what you are grateful for, things that you ask for. And it's very typical to ask for His Spirit to be with you. And it's always ask for a blessing on the food, like a literal like blessing mm -hmm. um, that the food, a lot of times you'll hear the term like nourish and strengthen us or strengthen us in some sort, I think is what they said. And then always closing in the name of Jesus Christ. Right. And the, the blessing on the food is very common and it, it gets just a little bit funny sometimes when it's a church gathering and there's some kind of group that gets together and there are maybe some donuts that are being shared as refreshments. And so they're blessing, they're putting a blessing on the food to be nourishing and strengthening our bodies and it's donuts. So you have to chuckle a little bit at that. Yeah, I was going to say refreshments for like young men's, young women's, and it's like pizza and donuts. But then whenever people would be like, why are you blessing to nourish and strengthen our bodies when you're eating donuts? And we're like, uh, we need those blessings more. <laughs> Duh. It makes more sense to please ask put, for that blessing. Please put some nourishment in this that has no nourishment at all. <laughs> exactly. It makes more sense to pray for that than to pray for a nourishing salad. I think the idea, the, 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 I think people throw that in there as just the habit almost. But I think the idea behind it is to show gratitude for the blessings and food in this situation that we have. I think that's what it's more about. Yeah, a lot of times commonly for dinner prayers, a lot of times um, they'll say, the bless the hands that prepared it. Mm. Was that typical in the FLDS too? Blessing the I, hands I, that prepared it? I have it? heard that term a lot. I don't know if it was in the FLDS or not. I don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, it, yeah, I felt like saying amen as yeah. well. <laughs> So pepperoni's fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's not like a Muslim or a Jewish thing. <laughs> Except oh, for in Sam's house. <laughs> See, this is wild. There's a there's sorry everyone. There's going to be a lot of commentary here already. But in my home, pepperoni was not okay because my father was very uh, versed in the Bible, and in the Bible it talks about not eating certain meats, and so he was very strict on not eating meat from a pig. Period. And so when it, when it was, if it was bacon or sausage or pepperoni, whatever, he would absolutely not allow that. And one time we ordered some pizza and it came with pepperoni on it. And he literally picked off every single pepperoni and sat it off to the side. And to our amusement and joy, our, his fourth wife, the a mother that joined our family after I was born, was sitting behind him eating them as... <laughs> As he was picking them off, because she actually experienced parts of the Great Depression, and she was not about to allow food to go to waste. <laughs> so us children were very happy and laughing to see that. But And that was definitely just a his family thing, Correct. his father's rule. There's nothing within the LDS or FLDS faith that says you cannot eat pepperoni. 
No, so we have something, it's like a health code, it's called the law of, I'm sorry, the word of wisdom, and talks about us like having moderation in all things, right, like not too much meat, not not getting addicted to anything, like not drinking alcohol, not drinking coffee, smoking, smoking drugs, tobacco, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's keeping very, our bodies, our temples clean. Yeah, it's very, everything in moderation, even anything that's good for you, too much of it is, is not. What about your wife? Too much of a good thing. <laughs> Moderation. Yeah, there's no limits there. Like for real, we don't have any of any of that. Now, here's something that many people outside of it think polygamy still takes place or Ooh. might take place. Here we go. You know, I can only have. I can only have. Right from the beginning, Peter. Here we go. More than. <laughs> When I served as a missionary, I got that question a lot. Um, right. As a missionary, I would be in, you know, a dress or a skirt most of the time, and they're like, oh, are you nuns, or oh, are you forced to wear, you know, like, dresses all the time? I'm like, no, I'm wearing pants right now. Um, but, like, funny questions like that to me. Um, but something that I learned was that even when polygamy was around, it was considered a calling, like an assignment from God. And there's only about 2% of the church that actually mm -hmm. practiced it. Mm -hmm. And now it's part of our, our church. And I think it says somewhere in the book of Acts in the Bible that talks about that Christ would come again um, after falling away and there would be a rest restoration of all things. And so with that restoration is still going on today. And so with that, the, the doctrines, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same across the board. 2,000 years ago, it was the same as it is now. But policies have changed over time. And so polygamy was a policy thing. But mm -hmm. and it's anyone, outlawed now. Yeah. It's not. If, if a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints practices polygamy, they would be most likely excommunicated. Okay, so that's a lot. Babe, thoughts, where, thoughts where, about polygamy being a policy instead of a doctrine. To where to begin? Oh boy. So, I mean, I always try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and the, the respect that is due, you know, I mean, but the word policy versus doctrine has been something that has come up a lot lately, mm -hmm. even with some of the questions that we had as we were looking into some of our concerns was that that idea was brought to us that basically we were told that oh nothing really is doctrine anymore except for the fact that jesus is our savior in christ yeah uh, we've been told that by stake presidents that we had tried to talk to about and questions. nothing else is doctrine uh, everything else is policy <laughs> and i don't know about everyone else that was raised in the church but that was very shocking to hear that was not at all the way we were raised so something like this that is a a policy that polygamy was a policy <laughs> that is not what i was taught not at all and i mean i know that i was raised in the flds where polygamy was very important but it was uh, we were also taught teachings of those leaders of the church before the FLD, flds church split off from joseph smith brigham young and john taylor and they did not make it seem like it was a policy, not not in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it was... Canonized scripture. That's the thing is it was considered modern revelation and restoration, as she's talking about, a restoration of all things. Yeah. And that's why it's in canonized scripture in, in Doctrine and Covenants section 132, where it specifically talks about the importance of polygamy. And that's even within, you know, the LDS Doctrine and Covenant scripture. So... Something, it's a tough one. Yeah, and I also I served a mission in Chile and had this question asked me probably more than anyone else because <laughs> I was also raised in polygamy. 
So that was just one of those things where what I would normally say or and kind of what I was told to say is that what the Lord commanded and required of his people would change from time to time, that sometimes it was required and sometimes it was taken away, whether it was due to worthiness or just the times and the seasons that things were required and then taken away. And so that's that's something you'll hear as well from church members is that during the time, the early days of the church, polygamy was required and needed, but later on the Lord put an end to it. When in reality, it came down to the government was going to shut the church down if they didn't put an end to it. So they had to. That's really what it came down to. Yeah. And just before we go further into this too, nothing that we're not trying to bash on anything that these members are saying. No. Because everything is just according to what they've been taught, right? Like they're conveying their message the best that they've been taught. And so where Sam's saying he was told something specific to say in his mission in answering polygamy, whereas she was obviously taught on her mission, you know, only 2% people practiced it. There's normally certain things that you're taught within the church of like, this should be your answer. And that can vary depending on where you grow up in the church, depending on who your mission president is or who is teaching at that time at the MTC. Those type of things can change. So her saying, oh, you know, only 2% of people practiced it and it was a policy. It's not a doctrine. I guarantee that's what she was told at that time. But where it's in scripture is where I would say that type of scripture, typically all the rest of the scriptures, the word of wisdom is section 89 and the polygamy is section 132. And so why is one thing still considered very strict doctrine and the other is considered now just policy when it's in a canonized book of scripture is where the like disconnect a little bit for me. Right. And someone might say, well, the word of wisdom is also just policy. Well, (laughs) okay. So if it is required that you live a certain way in order to receive all of your eternal blessings, is that just a policy? And make is, all your temple covenants to return to the is, celestial kingdom. <laughs> is that what we're saying here? So that's a that's a tricky one where people have to be careful just throwing out the word, oh, no, it's a policy, 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 policy. Because if it's just a policy, how important is it for your salvation? Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. And if everything becomes a policy except for simply agreeing that Jesus Christ is your Savior— that is not looking so much like the Mormon church or the LDS church that we were raised with. I'll just say that. Okay, okay. So FLDS, Mm -hmm. the fundamentalist Mm -hmm. Latter-day Saints, (laughs) no practice, that's under 1% (laughs) of all Mormons, Mm -hmm. LDS, under that huge umbrella. And from my understanding, correct me where I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. they think LDS lost their way. Because <laughs> Joseph Smith's message, you know, he practiced polygamy, mm-hmm. and um, Brigham Young practiced polygamy, mm-hmm. so they're That's staying right, yeah. to the original message where LDS moves on with each true. new prophet, correct? Right. And that's where things get confused there's a lot. A, there's I think. a total disconnect. We're not we're not connected, Associ- associated yeah. at all. Yeah. When Joseph Smith died, the, the saints came west following Brigham Young, who was then the, the next prophet. And many people were like, no, we're staying. We're staying here, um, like, out east, okay. and we're going to continue to practice things the exact same way. And those who came with Brigham Young came out here to Utah. We settled. That's why Utah mm-hmm. is, like, the hub, because that's where the saints came and, and settled. Mm-hmm. And then um, after some years, the 
you know, polygamy was outlawed and was no longer, no longer practiced. She's getting so, a little, I think, unfortunately, yeah. she's a little confused on well, this. She, she is confused. And I'm, I, like I say, once again, we're not trying to disagree with everything here, but she's thinking of Emma Smith, Joseph Smith's first wife, and her children staying behind, staying behind after Joseph Smith was martyred or killed in Carthage jail. That's what she's referring to. Those people actually didn't continue to live polygamy at all. They never, they never believed. Emma Smith never wanted or agreed with it. She did not like that. And she did, and there's lots of historical documents that the LDS Church has on this. You can look it up, but Emma Smith and Brigham Young did not get along. Mm -hmm. So when he took the rest of the saints, polygamy went with him to Utah. And the saints that stayed behind and followed Emma and those that believed that Joseph Smith's son was to be the next prophet, they never practiced polygamy. Right. They did not continue that ever. So she's just getting her history a little bit confused. Or again, this can also show maybe the disconnect of maybe that's what she was taught, that like those people kept doing it a certain way. We came here, but really Brigham Young practiced polygamy more and for a longer period of time than what Joseph Smith ever did. Oh, yes. And is much more the basis of the FLDS oh, and the fundamental beliefs so, than Joseph, almost than Joseph Smith. Yes. And the FLDS where I was raised was, they loved the Brigham Young teachings. I mean, Brigham Young was a hero in, in our <laughs> religion because he taught very strongly about the importance of polygamy and very strongly about the fundamentals and sticking true to your beliefs. And so we would just read and read and read his teachings, and it was just, in, in our mind at the time, it was proof that the mainstream LDS church was false, because they would, they would put an end to these doctrines that God had said, this is a part of the restoration of the church. So, you know, that's why the FLDS, they would say, oh yeah, the mainstream, uh, mainstream Mormon church completely went off the rails when they just started giving up these doctrines. So anyway, all that being said, yes, the, the FLDS church broke off long time after that. After the, the saints came to Utah, Brigham Young, and then John Taylor, and then Wilford Woodruff, and then it was after that that the separation began to happen. I was just going to say that's another thing that I think, even growing up LDS, I don't know if I knew, I think I knew Wilford Woodruff um, practice polygamy, you know, because he's the one who wrote the manifesto. I didn't know that Lorenzo Snow did. Right. So another thing is like, people think of, okay, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young practice polygamy. And then even as she's saying, you know, and then we were here for a while and polygamy was outlawed. But the fact that so many prophets did, so Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, I think Joseph F. Smith was mm -hmm. the first prophet to not practice polygamy. Right. And that was because that was after the first manifesto was signed. After the second one. Or was that Wilford after the Woodruff second? signed, I believe, both of the first and the second one. Wasn't it both Wilford Woodruff? I thought it was a prophet after him that signed the second one. but Lorenzo, It might have been Lorenzo Snow. Either way, we kind of look back on it and try to say, like, when you grow up LDS, it's like, okay, Joseph Smith Brigham Young. Okay, that happened. But then I think it's easy to try to push yeah. aside the fact that multiple prophets after Brigham Young also practiced polygamy and that it was such a big part. And, and yes, it's easy for them to say now, yeah, 1% do that, right? But during that time, during the early days of the church, polygamy was very common, very respected. And there were, it wasn't just a couple people, leaders of the church that were practicing, there were multiple. And for example, my grandfather, 
-hmm. My grandfather was a strong member of the mainstream LDS church before the FLDS church split off from it because of the because of the need of putting an end to polygamy. And and he was one of the men that was out there getting another multiple other wives, you know, yeah. while he was still believing in the 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 first, the mainstream LDS church. And then he broke off. But so there were multiple men out there that were marrying more than one wife. Yeah, growing up LDS, I feel like we wanted to distance ourselves so much. You know, even both of them said like, oh, we're very we're disconnected. Nothing to do with it. We want to separate ourselves from the FLDS, especially mm -hmm. Warren Jess and everything that he did. We wanted that separation so badly that it's easy to kind of ignore how long polygamy was in our church, basically. Right. Okay, so how'd you all meet? Because I'm seeing a lot of uh, mixed couples here. Uh, you didn't grow up in the same place, or did you? Or Sam, you want to say how you met your wife, even though she's not here? Yeah, volleyball. So we had this unique thing called singles wards. Woo -woo. Mm -hmm. um, kids graduate and go off to college, they'll go like, they could potentially go to a singles ward, and it's all single people. Yes. So we were playing volleyball, my wife, me and my wife, and uh, I spiked the ball into her face. <laughs> Got her attention. Anyway, she was she was she was the cutest girl there. <laughs> um, and then that was, your yeah, that was my <laughs> 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 that was a winning strategy. Well, but anyways, I met her at a singles ward, and so I'm Tongan, and my wife is Caucasian. She's from Nevada. A lot of Tongans. From the that are LDS, right? Oh my God. Really quick before he goes into that, Sam and I met in a singles, well, re-met in a singles ward. We started ward. dating when we were in a singles ward yeah, together. Yeah, started dating when we were in a singles ward together. Or I accidentally went to the wrong singles ward. I was trying to find my ward, walked into the wrong one, and re-met Sam. And yeah, so and we're the rest is all, for, all for singles wards. <laughs> Goodness. The, 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 the island of Tonga is Methodist and uh, LDS. The king is Methodist, okay. uh, and then the, uh, a lot of the, the, the people are, are Methodist as well, but there's a huge, I would say maybe close to here, yeah. like to Utah County, it's, it's really high population uh, LDS. Wow. Okay, and so a lot of Polynesians, island people are LDS, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and they move to the desert. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. California, Utah, all of the western states. There's a Las lot of Vegas. Lot of Las Vegas. Las yeah. Vegas. Yep. You're from Mexico originally, mm -hmm. right? I was one of the few LDS in my schools, man. There wasn't. So from your family, from your parents. And David, your story. Um, yeah, I was born in Mexico City. I was there until I was 10. And then we moved to California. And then I lived there until 2003. And then I moved here. And I was, I want to say born into the church, but not necessarily, like we were really never active. When I moved here to Utah, just kind of got back into it really strong and met my wife and it's just, it's just been great. And, and we have our daughter, Jaya. Yes, Jaya. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a camera right in your face. <laughs> Jaya, what grade are you in? I'm in sixth. Oh, cool. Cool. So in your school, how many, what percentage of the kids are Mormons? Um, it's like a 50-50. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my friends are, um, and a lot of my friends aren't. Okay, so there's not an issue between... Okay. I thought there was going to be more of a divide, to be honest. Maybe I'm lucky with the people I'm meeting. There used to be parents that would tell their kids, like, I heard... I would tell their kids like, hey, they're not, they don't go to church, so don't hang out with them. 
I never saw it. I just heard that, especially serving a mission here. So you've you've adopted? Yes, she is awesome. Uh, she we were there for the birth. Um, oh, really? Yeah, we have an open adoption. Birth mom is is in her life, and so in are our siblings. Our mm-hmm. life, actually. They live in Texas. They live in Lubbock. Okay. So we drove down to Lubbock uh, when she was right before she was born. I drove 16 hours, and I'll never make that drive again. <laughs> <laughs> so that is that common, or it's just no different in in the church or out if people no adopt? Different. Okay. Yeah. I will say too, though, the church did have an adoption service. I don't know if they use that for Jaya, but the church had its own adoption service for a very long time. And then they recently, I believe, got rid of that. Hmm. But um, for a long time, it was a good way for LDS families who were placing their children for adoption and for LDS families to be the ones to take them in. So I um, didn't know that. Yeah, they did. Hmm. Yeah, for a long time. And I knew people that, yeah, were on both sides of, of that adoption service. And then... Yeah, they got rid of it. And then also, as far as like having friends that were LDS or not, mm-hmm. I definitely saw some of that. I will say that if you're LDS, you don't really think of it as much. But I did have friends who are not LDS who definitely noticed it a lot more. Where, you know, like Jay was saying, like, oh, I have friends who are and I have friends who aren't. So to someone who's LDS in Utah, it doesn't feel like a big deal if you have both. But then for kids who aren't LDS in Utah, they definitely feel it harshly and they can feel the judgment when there are kids who say you know oh i'm not allowed to hang out with you or there's definitely like groups of kids who from church would only hang out with other kids from church but we were taught a lot to be very 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 careful with the influences around you and so how you're supposed to be picking your friends very wisely and carefully and make sure they have the same standards as you and make sure that they're going to be a good influence on you and so a lot of typical high school things like if someone swore you know that would be considered a bad influence you just couldn't be around so Mm. if a kid wasn't lds and they didn't think swearing was you know their parents swore or they didn't think it was a big deal and they swore around someone who is lds those lds kids are gonna shy away you know so a lot of it was just having those same standards so i know that you've mentioned you've you had a lot of and i've met some of them uh friends in school that were not lds yes so are are you an exception to the rule yeah i would say both of my parents were converts Mm. so both of them being converts to the church i think there's some like more grace because they didn't grow up in the church and so they just weren't judgmental towards people of other faiths so they didn't care who I was friends with as long as they were good kids. They didn't care about their religion at all. But there were other girls that like lived in my ward in my area that I ended up kind of like distancing myself from and they would only hang out with each other. And I kind of had like more of a variety of friends. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to say one well, other thing, I think another misconception about members of the church is, is big families. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's kind of the common like idea, like oh, you live in Utah, you probably have like twenty five kids. It's actually that's not that's not the case for many people. I feel like uh, it's actually kind of changing a little bit. Um, I have two to my sister, but then Bethany. Yeah, I came from a family of nine, one adopted, but we have three. You know, that's good number for us. So thirteen more. (laughs) (laughs) i'm like not gonna lie it was tough sometimes to have so many siblings would get looks you know walking through the chicago airport or something like how many people you know there was there's a lot of us um but i think that 
it has helped me have a sense of identity and purpose in in life. You know, I have come outside of myself so much more in being a mom. And if I didn't have my faith, I probably wouldn't have gotten married or had kids. Why is that, do you think? I think that because it would be really easy for me to get confused by all the ideas out there. You know, you, you can look anything up online, right? And there's so many different philosophies or beliefs. And with, you know, some of my personal struggles and weaknesses, like I, I sometimes struggle with anxiety or depression. And I think I don't want to pass that on to my kids, like DNA, genetic wise, or I'm not going to be adequate enough to be a mom because... I lose my patience sometimes. You know, if I really was looking at things from maybe a psychological lens or like just a genetic lens, I think I, I'm not fit to be a mom. I wouldn't be a good, I wouldn't be a good mom. And so I think that having faith, knowing that when Ben and I got married, we committed not just to each other, but to God, that we were going to treat each other well and try to live good lives. And then our children, we get to partner with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ in caring for our children and raising them. So if I have a problem with one of my kids, I can pray about it and ask for the spirit to guide me. Like, give me some direction. How do I, you know, address this this issue that's coming up? Give me some patience as well. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes the answer that comes back isn't fun. It's like, you need to apologize. Like sometimes, you know, as a parent, you think I'm, I'm right, you know, but sometimes the spirit is like, reprimanding me like you need to be more patient or you need to be um more gentle or you know slow down don't rush your children you know it, it and so i'm learning and growing so much as a person that i wouldn't have if i wasn't a mother and a wife uh, whew, sorry i'm trying to make sure that i'm trying to not cut it That's off at an odd spot but growing up in the lds you're definitely taught that a huge part of your divine nature is to be a wife and a mother and the importance of that and the importance of having these children having spirits come down into bodies that you create is such a huge part of your purpose in this life and so it's a very big deal and i think you definitely have the idea of you are going to be able to have the lord on your side in raising your children you're very much taught that you will have that help and support i think also you have the help and support of the church and the community of that that I think is relied upon a lot. I know when we were having our transition in leaving the LDS church, that was something that was so hard for me. It was so hard for me. I was terrified of the idea of raising my children without like sending them to church and sending them to youth camp and sending them to all these structures that I had growing up. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this as a mom? Yeah. And it was something that was really, really scary for me. And then at least for me, if any of you out there are thinking the same thing or in the same type of faith transition, I went from being super terrified to feeling like, wait a minute, if I believe that it's in my divine nature, then it means that I believe that I'm capable of being a mother, that that is divinely in me and that I'm capable of being a mother and rearing my children and being able to like rear them with good values and good morals and in righteousness. And that's within me, not within an organization. Mm -hmm. And so while I appreciate the organization in the way that I was raised, I felt like, wait a minute, I, who am I to think that I'm not capable yeah. if, if God has given me this nature to do that. And so it kind of, instead I switched from like 
being super worried and sad about it to being like super empowered like no this is naturally within me and i can do this yeah and yeah anyway but i can totally see what she's saying about the fact that it is a part of like okay i do have it in me and that's very much in the faith that we're raised in for sure yeah and she mentioned that as well she mentioned that she would receive answers from the holy spirit or the uh, is that what she referred the spirit the, the spirit yes so just to point out, in case anyone's wondering, in the LDS church, they do believe that they can constantly receive inspiration, feelings, or even thoughts into their, into their minds from the Holy Spirit. They're taught that when they are baptized, typically at age eight, if they're raised in the church, obviously mm-hmm. converts can come a lot later. later. But they're taught that they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that if they stay worthy and stay true to their beliefs, that that Holy Ghost will be a companion for them uh, throughout the rest of their lives. And so when they need help in any circumstance, whether it's like she mentioned, helping raise children or knowing what to do, mm-hmm. they believe that they can pray and that they can be in tune with the Spirit's at all times communication to them whether it comes through feelings or or thoughts or sometimes even maybe some might mention they hear a voice something like that so just so you know what she's referring to there they do believe they have direct communication with god through the holy ghost Mm -hmm. don't you worry a little bit living here safe Kids playing on the sidewalk at dark. That's pretty rare these days in U.S. cities. Mm-hmm. And, like, Jay has really good friends with Sam's kids. Sam has five kids, and right. and they, like, play. And... So it's because you, help, you all have shared values. More people are watching over each other. So you have your ward. Everyone knows everyone in the community. Now, if more people move in and then more and more, that dilutes to some degree. Is that a fear? Because I would, for me, it would be maybe a fear. Like, we have something amazing, and... If we have an influence that goes away from what we have, maybe things change. So I don't want our daughter to be raised in, in a bubble. I want her to believe because she chooses to believe. Okay. Not because all her friends believe and because her parents believe. So that opposition gives her an opportunity. Like how I grew up in California, my friends were not members of the church. So it gave me an opportunity to see the difference and to choose for myself how I wanted to live. Good. And that's... I mean, I would assume that that's kind of how we all feel here. Um, we don't, we're, we're not trying to raise a robot. We're trying to raise someone who has agency to choose for herself. And then the question about like people coming in, honestly, I think it's, it depends on how you look at it. You can either see it as an opportunity to share God's light with others, or you can see it as a threat. What I don't want is people to come and bring their gang, like they're leaving other states to leave the gangs and the drugs and the graffiti and all the prostitution. Okay, so leave it there. If you're coming here for a better life, then come here for a better life. That's my only fear. I don't want all the trash from Kelp. Like, sorry. <laughs> where I can tell, I don't want oh, boy. Bring the ocean, but don't breathe. <laughs> well, she said she's from California, so I feel like she's allowed to. She gets extra um, liberty to be able to say that. If she's yeah. Also, growing up in California, too, members who grow up outside of Utah, where she's saying like she grew up outside of Utah, they also, I feel like, have a different perspective. Oh, yes. Uh, like, way different on these type of things. Like, the mm-hmm. fact that she's saying, like, I don't want my... My daughter to be grown up in a bubble and she had good experiences you know being able that makes a huge difference i think that there would be a different answer if from somebody who had been raised in utah right. their whole life on whether or not 
there was a threat with people coming in um, because there is that difference in culture, right? So Utah definitely has a lot of a specific culture that's around the church. And when you grow up outside of it, yeah. You have different perspectives. Who's to say that when she moved, well, I don't know how old she was. Maybe she was just a young kid. But <laughs> maybe even people that are members of the church coming from California or Nevada or anywhere out of Utah and moving to Utah, there might be members of the church that don't appreciate their views on life and how they go about interpreting the church and the, the, the teachings of the church because it's so different from someone, even though they belong to the church and even though... A lot of times they're being taught the exact same thing in the church meetings. The interpretation, because they're outside of Utah, is typically, in a lot of cases, a little different. Oh, it's totally true. I'll give one example. I moved to northern Utah and was working up there, and I was living in like college student housing, like BYU student housing. And I just remember thinking, and it wasn't, it's funny, it's like judgmental and not at the same time. I can say like, I definitely judge people too harshly. Um, from the way that I was raised, but, and I regret that, (laughs) but like, I remember seeing like the kids from California, especially the girls from California did not have like the same modesty standards. And I remember being like, these girls are in short shorts and tank tops (laughs) from Cali. And it was all the Cali girls. And like, they obviously grew up not thinking that it was a big deal. Grew up on the beach. They grew up on the beach and they were in short shorts and tank tops. And that makes perfect sense now. But as me, like a 20 year old girl that was raised in Utah, like, if you were LDS, you did not wear short shorts and you did not wear tank tops. Right. And that was part of the Mormon Utah culture. And so people coming from the outside and doing those type of things, you could definitely like tell. It was right. interesting. So anyway, I just had to point that out because she's talking about all these people that do these awful things come, don't don't bring those things. I just wanted to point out that even people that are members of the church and think that they have everything figured out move to Utah, there are still going to be those people in Utah that don't appreciate their views and don't <laughs> appreciate what they're bringing to the community. Okay, I got you. Okay, what do you say? What is it No, I agree. Say? I was just going to, I think it's great that there's more people moving here. Uh, we don't want a closed society. Yeah. Um, yeah, it gives us an opportunity to add to our culture. Are you guys... shared our beliefs with others. Are you guys being too nice right now? No, <laughs> this is really the true yeah. representation. This is not the North Korea tour. So just, uh, I don't know his name, but the one he was just talking to, uh, he mentioned that they do want more people to come, but he did point out one key thing there. He they said, both did. they both did. We want to share our beliefs with them. So just saying that is very common throughout the church as well. They feel that they have the truth and that they want to share that joy and happiness that they have in their life with everyone else. So Bring them on in so that we can share our belief. And once That's we convert the them, then we can continue to have the bubble the way that it is. Even if you don't want to call it a bubble, right. the, the goal still is that if somebody moves in next door, well, if we can convert them, then we still continue yeah. to have our same culture in our same area. Yeah. And I'm not saying this makes them bad people or anything, oh, no. but you just have to realize that they are saying... They are saying, we don't want people to come here and bring their ideas. We want them to come here so we can share them our ideas. Yeah. <laughs> right? So just it's just an interesting uh, way of looking at things. Yeah. We have something that's called General Conference, and that's twice a year. The prophet and the apostles of the church, they speak to us. 
and we believe that they receive inspiration from God. A few years ago, there was a, a, a speech from our prophet, or one of the apostles, I, I, don't, I, I can't recall which, which one it was, but it says, in the latter days, it's not going to be enough to be in the middle. You're going to have to pick a side. And we see that with politics, we see that with beliefs, we see that with a lot of different things that are going on in the world. You can't be in the middle. Mm -hmm. So you have to pick the right or, or the left, right? And it's just so, it's such an anchor to have a belief system that will anchor me and that will allow me to guide my family with principles that are everlasting. So you said you... Uh, he pointed out that he, that in a recent general conference that one of the prophets or apostles mentioned that they needed to choose a side. Uh, I just want to point out that choosing a side has been from the beginning of the beginning. Yeah, uh, prophets I mean, there, from there's the beginning. Even, there's even church uh, hymns about that. Who's on the Lord's side? Who? Yeah, who's on the Lord's side? Who now is the time to show? And then you know, and it, so it's been. It's been very much ingrained in our minds from a very, even growing up in the FLDS, that now is the time to pick a side. So just wanted to point that out. That's been that way for a long time. And when he says that use the principles of the church to guide you, that really applies to so many aspects of life. And like even with politics, right? Mm -hmm. Like the church doesn't come out and say that you need to be on the right or the left, it says, you know, but they do say you do need to pick a side, you do need to vote. They've encouraged that a lot, but there are certain principles that they will definitely lean one way or the other politically, oh, yeah. right? Or the church will even fund political campaigns against certain things that go against their um, their teaching and their teaching doctrines. Belief, yeah. So they definitely do use the gospel standards. Like, Again, going back to us coming out, like coming into our faith transition, having to go back and not just have an answer for every single thing. Like if I wanted to know how I felt about abortion, I could literally go to the church website and read all about how I should feel about abortion. If I wanted to know how I felt about LGBTQ issues, I would go to the church website and I could read lots of things about how I should yeah. feel about that. I mean, big social issues that aren't even necessarily on the outside religious issues could everything can come down to religion right and right. The, the lds religion is very big on they have an answer for just about everything and i really loved that growing up i really loved this it security. made it very black and white you know you knew exactly what you should and shouldn't do and so yeah you know now with the decision without that you've got to make your own decisions and do your research and figure it out and, and try to live the best life you can so which you know can be a better thing or a worse thing depending on the situation but yeah. anyway it was Some, sometimes i still feel like i'm unpacking that a little bit mm -hmm. sometimes i still feel like i will be thinking something on a certain topic and i have to take a step back and go okay is this what i really think and feel or is this what i was taught to think because of my belief in the church yeah. and then decide whether or not I still believe that. Do I still feel that same way? Or was it all because I put so much stock into what the church told me I should think on yeah. certain topics? So it can definitely get very muddy when they're saying like, who's on, who's on the Lord's side, who it's not just the Lord's side on like gospel or believing in that church. It also is like the Lord's side on political issues and social issues and religious issues. Right, And he even mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't pick, you have to pick a side right now. Now the LDS church, <laughs> as far as red and Peter's blue, are there some on each side or everyone's on one side? No. I think there's, 
there's people that are on both sides. I think there's something that's called the Articles of Faith, and it kind of boils down what we believe on. And the Article of Faith 2, 12 says, We believe in being subjects to kings, presidents, rulers, magistrates, and obeying and honoring and sustaining the law. So as long as you're, you're following the law and you're not breaking the law, then I think you can choose okay. what aligns better to you, right? Right. But there's no size. You you got to be Republican or Democrat or independent. In, if anything, they said, study who yeah. is in in who's gonna run for elections, and pray. Mm-hmm. Make your best judgment. Judgment, right? Okay. Yeah, there's zero okay. blind following. Like no one is. Ex- we're not all expected to feel the same way about every controversy and every topic. Everybody is encouraged to pray and seek guidance. Okay. from the spirit to know which way is best for their family and for, for themselves. I think, too, as the church grows, becomes more international. You get many different belief systems. When it's a smaller community, and you'll have a lot more conservatives, in, obviously, in Utah, but as it grows and continues to grow with the 17-plus million members worldwide, um, okay. those political beliefs, peoples expand, and uh, it's, it's constantly growing. So I was thinking before this shoot, there'd be more of a divide, to be honest. And I don't know. You I, mean it's between almost you and us? Yeah, because oh, okay. I, I thought, you know, I'm non-LDS. Mm-hmm. So maybe Gentile's a bit harsh, but <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna look down on me. You know, he's, he hasn't figured it out yet. And poor guy. And maybe he will one day. And we're going to look down on him. But that's not the vibe I get. If that's the vibe you're getting, then the members of the church aren't giving the right vibe. Okay. That's not what we believe. And if you read the Book of Mormon, you'll read scriptures that say things like that Jesus Christ remembers the heathen and the Jew and the Gentile. And, you know, all are alike unto God. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all children of Heavenly Father. And if someone's not behaving that way, they probably need to repent okay. and get on board. Everybody has the light of Christ in them. Um, whether we listen to that light of Christ or not is up to us. And you, I, I think that's true in the sense that like, I feel like for the most part, most LDS people, when you go to Utah, super, super friendly and they are going to treat people with kindness. Yeah. 99%, 99% of the members, 99% of the time. And I don't think looking down upon is the right words at all. It's, um, they're not going to be looked down upon, but they definitely do see outsiders as opportunities to be able to share the gospel. Like this is like gold. This is gold to be able to have somebody come into your house, ask questions and be able to share the gospel in this type of manner is like an amazing opportunity for any LDS family. Right. To be able to share with, you know, millions of people potentially. Yeah. You know, they they will be able to see their beliefs. Then of course, Yes, I don't think that they look down on anyone else, but they're definitely trying to share what they have because they do believe that ultimately they have a better life because of what they believe. Yep, exactly. But And so you want to share that with, with right. everybody, right? You might consider that maybe your conscience, conscience or the Holy Spirit that guides you. Okay. Yeah. But the non but like me, is God in me too? Yes, you are son of God and you have his light in you. Absolutely. Good we job, believe Peter. you're doing his work, man. Like yeah. you're bringing light to a lot of, you know, people and individuals that would probably never get to see that. You know, mm-hmm. different yeah. religions, different points of views, different. Uh, well, that's how we learn. Is uh, I just yeah. get into as many different communities as possible, 
because I have literally in three weeks ago, I just didn't know anything about the church, to be honest, other than it was out of Salt Lake and what? Joseph Smith started it and all yeah. the stereotypes. People say this. I don't, I don't mean to be offensive by saying it. I'm just going to repeat. A lot of people say it's part of a cult. <laughs> so I think by definition, the word cult is a group of people that believe the same thing. Okay, so it is. I believe that that's what I don't cult really care, man. What <laughs> 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 <Do> you want? <laughs> We're a congregation of believers. So yeah. This is a quad. These are all the scriptures that we uh, that we read. So the King James Holy Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, which are revelations that were given to the Prophet Joseph Smith, and during the early days of the Restoration, and then the Pearl of Great Price, which are findings from like Abraham and. Um, papyrus scripts that were translated into English. And the Book of Mormon is like the new New Testament, fair to say? <clears throat> it's another know. testament. I'll okay. put another yeah. testament. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it happens in America. It takes place in America. So where the Bible is the testament of Jesus when he visited the Western Hemisphere, the Book of Mormon is the Eastern Hemisphere. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. The Book of Mormon doesn't take away the Bible. It adds another testament. It's another witness that Christ is our Savior. We're not taking away truths from the Bible. In fact, it's just, you see an accident, you have two witnesses, that's gonna make a stronger case that that accident happened. So Book of Mormon, it testifies of Christ. Pretty much any active members of the church home that you would go into, you'll see pictures of the Savior. You'll see pictures of the temple. You'll see scriptures. Mm -hmm. We believe that when Christ was on the earth, he created his church in perfect form. When he was crucified and he was taken from the earth, his church, basically collapsed because the apostles were all killed off after him one by one. The priesthood, which is the authority to act in God's name, was taken from the earth. And then we have the dark ages, right? So the heavens were closed, no priesthood, no communication with God. That's where we have like the, like Martin Luther comes along and tries to like, anyway, the reformation. Then in 1820, there was a, a young man named Joseph Smith living in Palmyra, New York, and he was studying the Bible and he was searching for the truth. He went to a grove of trees called the Sacred Grove, and he prayed to know the truth. He had a vision, we call it the first vision, where Heavenly Father and Jesus appeared to him and told him that, he was because he was searching for the true church, and told him that none of the churches on the earth were, at the time were true, that he would be the prophet in time to bring back Christ's original church, to restore it to the earth. So we call it, we're the restored church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? I mean, that's not the official title, but we're a restored church. So now we have 12 apostles again, the prophet, which is like a representation of, of Christ, even though we don't look at him as if he's Christ. And we believe he receives revelation from mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and guides all of us. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot to uh, go over here. Go ahead. I know I need to stop making the pauses so long, but I'm trying to let them finish their yes. thoughts. Yes, well, and there's a lot to get through. So. As far as pictures in the home, um, I definitely noticed that. I was going to pause, so I'm glad I didn't pause before now. But definitely, there's always pictures of Christ, and there's always pictures of temples. Typically, a lot of times you'll see pictures of the temple that the couple got married in. So I believe by their door, it looked like the Salt Lake City Temple. My guess is that's where they were sealed. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, there's some really beautiful pictures of Christ that are very like non-traditional that you don't see in a lot of other like cathedrals or things like that at least that I've seen it, it has a different vibe to it so there's that one's really pretty yeah. of him walking by the sea and we have like a really big one we got for our wedding yeah. that is like gorgeous and very unique and very um I've never seen another one like it as well so no. 
it's very common to have like unique pictures of Christ and then pictures of the temple. And I will say one differentiation between the FLDS, we don't typically have pictures of the prophets mm. hung up in our house. Right. In the FLDS, that was the main thing we would have is pictures of our lineage, the prophet lineage of yeah, the FLDS church. So it did start with with Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, and then it cut off Wilford Woodruff and threw the rest away and started their <laughs> own line of prophets at that point. Um, I did want to point out as well, she showed their scriptures, they call the quad, that has the different scriptures that the members read. And, and you know, it just kind of goes to show the interpretation, the differences in interpretation of scriptures, because we'll hear from a lot of different Christian people that will say that if you read the Bible and you actually understand what it's saying, it will say very clearly that things that, that the Book of Mormon claims are just straight up false. It's just no possible way that can be true, right? That's the interpretation. If you, if you go into an LDS home like Peter is right now, and you had them read the Bible and the Book of Mormon together, the LDS family is going to not see any contradiction. They're going to say, no, this is hand in hand. The Book of Mormon only helps us better understand and read the Bible. They're not going to see those interpretations that other people would see and say would contradict each other. So just want to point out, we understand that there are a lot of different views on this. And some of you watching today might say, whoa, 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 they said what about the Book of Mormon complimenting the Bible? And so we just wanted you to know we do understand that, but it's differences in interpretation is what it really comes down to. And that's why there's a ton of different Christian churches too, right? Because within Christianity, there's a whole bunch of churches that interpreted just the Bible differently, right? right. And so, and that's where like the FLDS, fundamentalist Mormons and mainstream Mormons, a lot of the doctrine and covenants, those modern scriptures, the restorationalist scriptures, those scriptures can be interpreted differently as well, the same as the Bible's interpreted differently within Christianity. And so that's where fundamentalists split off from right. all sorts of different aspects in there as well. Oh, the Book of Mormon was revealed to Joseph Smith. It was in the Hill Cumorah, and it was people that inhabited the Americas anciently that had written thing, revelations that they received from God. So those are the gold plates. Those were hidden in the earth by Moroni tons and tons of time ago then in joseph smith's day he was directed to where they were pulled them out and he went through the gift and power of god he translated them into the book of mormon i also have to say really quick that her version of the first vision and quickly what the book of mormon is how they got it and stuff i feel like is a very good description especially in such a short amount of time like giving someone the main gist of it i think she did a really good job yeah okay so. and then the religion moved its way to the Midwest. It was not received too well and kept moving, kept yes. moving until it came to here. Yeah. This is the place. Yep, this Brigham is the place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what do you guys think of the United States right now? 2023. <laughs> I I mean, from from somebody who wasn't born here, I... I love America, um, and I love what America represents. However, I do feel that it's in a slow decline. Um, you know, values and morals are kind of going out the window. Um, I feel like the, the family is being attacked. I don't know if it's the media or just, 
I, I can't really put a finger on it, but it's definitely like the nuclear family. It's 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 going away. Like people are saying that you don't need you know a mom and a dad in a home to raise children, um, and that's one of the basis of of our faith. It's is the family unit. I just think this is a land of promise, and I think what we're seeing now is what has been seen throughout history. Um, and, it's, and, and we label it, it, within the church, it's kind of known as the pride cycle. Um, uh, we're, we're prosperity and uh, other things caused a decline. And I think we're seeing that. The nuclear family is under attack. God is under attack uh, from, from all sides. But I think still America is a land of promise. Uh, and in the Book of Mormon, they talk about um, those, the followers uh, on America, as long as they serve Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. uh, America will be a land of freedom mm -hmm. and prosperity. So I still feel that way. I still love America. I hang a flag on my home down the street. And I, I still feel that way. It's a land of promise, but we're going through some, some tough times. Okay, so the, the fact that like the family is under attack and this is under attack and that is under attack. I was talking to my dad recently because he moved to Utah as a teenager um, after his stepmom was LDS. And so he converted when he was like 12 or 13, he got baptized and they moved to Utah. And he was telling me, it's funny that in the Utah schools, you know, they're like, all oh, the schools are, everything's just getting so bad and the world is getting so bad and this is getting so bad and that's getting so bad. And he's like, in the 80s, they were saying the exact same thing. <laughs> he goes, it's just been getting, like, back then they were worried about the nuclear family and this and this and this is all under attack and we're under attack and everything's under attack. And he's like, it's been the same story. Tale as old as time, right? That's, exactly. It, it seems to be pretty common. I'm, I'm not saying the world is perfect. No. I, I'm not saying America is perfect by any means. Everyone, every place has its issues for sure. But I think that things look a lot worse now than they did back then because social media, the news, everything is so it's much everything. easy, so much easier to access that you see every little detail of things. Like, you know, a hundred years ago, if something happened across the world, if you ever heard about it, you wouldn't hear about it for a very long time. And you'd only hear about little tidbits of things that happened here and there. So now, because you just see and hear about everything, not only on the, on the other side of the world, but what's going on in your state or, you know, surrounding states, it just seems like the whole world is crumbling down because you see so much now. Yeah. And then, like I said, even particularly in Utah, he was like saying that people were saying that the so many things were disintegrating in their community and that was in the 80s in utah right and now people are like oh if only it could be like how it was in the 80s in utah so i don't know if that'll ever go away i think there's always this idea of you know that everyone in some way feels attacked right. for their beliefs mm -hmm. you know it's easy because there's always people attacking one another and it's sad and you can always yeah. find that and you can always feel that yeah Every time I see the flag, I have the chills, man. I love this country. This guy's given me so many opportunities. I wouldn't have met my wife if it wasn't for this country. I think the only way to achieve peace is with people leave God's laws, right? If, if people have religion and they have values that they can live in, I think that's a solution to a lot of the stuff that we're seeing right now. I think it's a great country still. I think it has been, hasn't been managed well. But primarily, it's a reflection of where we stand as a country. I think we have departed a lot from 
the higher power God who has who founded this nation. If you if you look at the history, I mean, we kick trash on the British people, right? Just by miracles, man. I mean, we're just like kids with rocks and sticks. These guys have huge armies, but miracles happen. This nation was founded on gods, and it was a miracle how America came about. And it's just sad that we're drifting away from our creator, the, the one who created this country. Yeah. I, I'd add a little bit of like... I want to hear what she says uh, real quick before we come just a little bit too, that we believe that God is not an authoritarian, you know, a rough, you know, God that wants to send us all to hell. Like that he, we all are God's children <clears throat> and he loves us. He cares about us and he wants us to come home to him. And so saying abiding God's laws, it doesn't mean that he's like strict and unforgiving and, but he, he loves us. He wants us back. And so, so that, um, that's like the basis too, of just starting with that understanding that, that God founded this nation because, you know, he, he loves, he loves his children. He loves his people. And so when we follow him, we're, we're happier. Okay. That's a lot to unpack. <laughs> Um, I'd say that's a very common view within the LDS church is that basically the, every bad thing that happens in the the country is because of people who are not Christian. Right. Right. Mm. Um, or that don't have the same beliefs as them and... Or just religious in general, it seems that, uh, I mean, obviously a lot more Christian beliefs than others, but, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky because then you have the other side that are claiming that a lot of things and, and brainwashing and that type of thing is happening because of religion. And you have the other side that is saying that they feel that because of religious people, their beliefs are being attacked. Right, mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a tricky line to try to be choosing a side, you know, choosing like they said, you have to choose a side now. It's hard to choose a side and still be respectful of everyone else's beliefs without coming across in some way as attacking. Unfortunately, that's just the truth. I feel like within Mormonism too, there is this idea of because this was the promised land, so the Book of Mormon being the record of the American people, the Americas, the Native American people here, whether or not that is true, we won't get into, but that is the Different basis video. of it, is that the, um, you know, Lehi brought his family across the waters, they came here to the Americas, and that it's a testament of Jesus Christ here in the Americas at the same time that the biblical times are going on. So with the idea of America just in general being founded by people leaving Israel or Jerusalem and then continuing on with the freedom that the religious freedom of all of the pilgrims here and everything. There definitely is like a deep belief in the fact that like God founded this country mm -hmm. and that, yeah, I don't even know how to say it. Like <laughs> whether or not the founding fathers did, whether or not anybody like what the religious aspect was, it doesn't really matter in the minds of anybody within Mormonism. It is God founded this country and he had God's people on it before. And then they got wiped away by the Lamanites within the Book of Mormon. 
and they like lost all that again and then it became another land of freedom and hope with religious freedoms and so it's constantly this idea of like religious freedom and like god's chosen people continuing to come here to america oh yes i feel like it runs deep when people say the freedoms of america that means a lot of different things but one of the big things is the religious freedom that Mm -hmm. is something that the the people are very proud of that it is a well, <laughs> I guess it depends on which religion you ask. Coming from the FLDS, we didn't we didn't feel like we were very free because we did get we were feeling like we were being attacked by the government because of our religious beliefs. So, you know, you have I guess depends on who you ask, but the majority of people would say that it's a very free religious uh, country. What did you think about her saying that like God's not authoritarian and that he, when we say to follow God's laws, we're not saying anything like super strict. Like he just wants everyone to be happy. That's just that's just changing. That's changing with the times. That's the the idea of that. It's not always been that way. When the church was the origination of the church, and in the FLDS that tried to stick true to the fundamentals of the church, it was very much that. Uh, God was authoritarian and very much in charge of every little aspect. It was the idea of him just being a loving Heavenly Father that uh, was, you know, almost compared as an earthly father that just loves his children and wants us to be with him. It's a beautiful idea, but it's not the way that he was always portrayed within the church, in my opinion, based on the way I was raised and the beliefs coming from the early day prophets. Yeah, the fundamentals were pretty, pretty clear right that there was very specific ways and i'd say even particularly within mormonism because it is a high demand religion right a lot is demanded and they believe those demands do come from god Mm -hmm. so while they say okay he's loving heavenly father and he just wants us to be happy and so he gives us god's laws so that we can just choose the right and get back to him at the same time they do believe that god has very 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 specific guidelines and very specific checklists that have to be met there are certain things that have to be done in order to go to the temple and to be able to make covenants with god that they believe are absolutely necessary in order to return to live with god again so where there is so much strictness that way it's like okay yes you can believe he's the loving heavenly father and that he requires a checklist but at the same time to try to say that he doesn't want you to when abiding by god's laws Within Mormonism, there are very specific laws. It's not just the Ten Commandments. There are very specific things that you have to do. Right. And, yeah, that's. I think what they would say, though, is that it's a loving Heavenly Father that sees all. He knows a lot more than our little minds can comprehend. So though they may seem like laws and all of these rules we have to follow, it's just a loving Heavenly Father trying to keep us from burning our hand on the stove again. Well, because like they were saying to begin with, with the country, right? When you go away from those those laws and those principles, it ends up with all the madness and the chaos and all the problems of the country are all because people aren't following those specific laws, right? Exactly, yep. And so they and so they will use that as a look. See, this is proof that this is what it would be without following these rules, yeah. We, it's the commandments are given for our happiness, for our growth. There you go. He's not looking <laughs> to kick us out of the game. Yeah, and I don't know, if, I don't think I'm the only one here but with this story, but I, I did have a time in my life where I didn't abide God's laws. And the lack of peace and the turmoil within me and the darkness compared to 
when I got my life together and repented and came back to the Savior and his church and all of that, I, I never really left the church, but in secret I was doing things I shouldn't have. How long did that last? About two to three years. Do you all have any temptations? Sorry, before we move on, the fact that she's saying that not abiding by God's laws make you unhappy, right? And there's definitely, oh, within the church, <laughs> I don't want to say like, shame culture, but there is a certain amount of when you do do things that are against some of these laws and you've been told your whole life, there's a certain aspect of like, you're going to feel guilt and shame over things that other people who aren't raised in your culture are not going to feel guilt and shame about. Okay. I would have felt guilt and shame for wearing a tank top and short shorts. That would have made me feel horrible inside. It would have made me feel like I went against God's laws and therefore I feel this darkness. I feel unhappy, unpure, unclean, those type of things. Someone who was never raised in the church is never going to feel those feelings from the same type of things. You right. know, if I had gone and snuck off and, and tried alcohol, I would have felt the same way. People who are raised where alcohol is not a big deal are not going to feel those same things. So within high demand religions, it is hard to separate how much is I'm feeling this guilt and the shame because that's what I was taught to feel if I don't abide by these rules and these laws mm -hmm. and how much of it is darkness or guilt and shame because just your inner conscience and whether you want to call it the light of Christ or you want to call it your conscience or, or just being a good person or having negative consequences in your life, how much of it is that and how much of it is taught shame right. and blame? As humans, we all learn from our mistakes, right? And or we should. <laughs> you, you, we should, exactly. <laughs> good point. But my point is, is that if you are someone that is not in a high-demand religion, then maybe you make a mistake or something that you feel is a mistake and you realize, okay, well, I don't like the way that made me feel, so I'm not going to do that again, right? But if you are in a high demand religion, there are so many rules to follow that when you do something that is a common, possibly a common mistake that everyone learns that maybe they don't want that later on in life, there, there's a, a shame and guilt that comes along with that because God does. You feel that God doesn't want you to do it, so then it, you feel like a bad person. Yeah. So when she amplified. says, when she says she repents and comes back to the church and starts following all the rules, she has such a peace and a calm. That makes perfect sense because she no longer is feeling that guilt and shame for doing what she feels is immoral or against God's laws. Did so. you feel like when you first left the FLDS? Did you feel like you were in a darkness and a dark place and that you didn't have peace, that life was a little bit tumultuous? Well, a lot came with it because when I left the FLDS church, I also was leaving my family behind. So it was never easy. At the very moment, I did feel as a teenager, as a young adult, that a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders, that, you know what? I can actually make my own decisions for my life and not have to do everything based on what they tell me to do in the church. And so there was that weight lifted off my shoulders. And then the this the this guilt and the shame and the sadness did creep in after that, after I started realizing and feeling that I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. And there were times, multiple times actually, that I was 
just this close to going back. I felt that, you know what, the only way that I'm ever going to find peace and happiness again is going to be by returning and being with my family and following the rules of the FLDS church. So, yes, I definitely went through those times. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to point out that, like, that guilt and shame didn't mean that the FLDS was true. Oh. It just meant that you were taught to feel that way, and so that's what you felt. 100%. Yep, that's, yes. I mean, you asked, it's no like, why well, you get so nice? I was like, man, I, get, I had crummy days too, man. Like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm cranky, I get mad, and I mean, we'll have our struggles, man. Yeah. Absolutely, I do have temptations every day. Yeah. I mean... But but the religion keeps you on on the road easier than if you didn't have it. Fair to say. Yeah. There's a standard to live by. Right? I mean, I I I don't know if I were being like I mean, if I can be upfront, like there was a time where I was just kind of rebellious in my life, and I did, I, I, I lived against my faith, right? But I mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. It's a dark place, and I don't want to be there anymore because mm-hmm. I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. I used to drink and smoke and party and, you know. Show them your tattoos. I, I got tattoos. Show them. No, I got tattoos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> proof. We need proof. Also, if anyone's wondering, like, why does it matter that he has tattoos, right? That is a huge act of rebellion within the LDS church. A very strict Drinking, told, smoking as well. Yeah, but so drinking, smoking, partying, like he's saying. But then tattoos are very much, um, you don't have tattoos. You don't put anything, you know desecrating your temple your body's the temple and so you don't have tattoos and so that's why that's why it's such a big deal where he's like no i'm not you know i can say i have tattoos i'm not going to show them but like that's just another outward showing of like rebellion or doing like a mistake yeah and those are some examples of things that maybe outside of the church wouldn't be a big deal but those are some of the things that they're feeling this shame and guilt and and feelings about that makes them want to go back to the church so that they can feel peace again. Mm-hmm. Are they cool at least? No. And, and, you know, like, I've lived that life, and, and you know, I, I hung out with people who are not necessarily the best kind of people you want, you know, teenagers or young adults to hang out with. And now that, I'm, that I see my life how it is, and, it, you know, I, I attribute it to God. I attribute it to Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation and, and the atonement. Um, but I, I do have temptations. My wife will tell you, like, every now and then I'm like, oh, man, I, I that drink looks good. Or, you know, some co- we don't drink coffee, you know, like, oh, I would love to get some coffee. Or I would love to get more tattoos. But I don't do any of that stuff. Just because I, I believe that it goes against, you know, our, our, our core values and beliefs. Do you LDS people feel under threat at all right now? You're a minority religion, let's say, 17 million. I feel like um, I feel like we are definitely an easy target. For, okay. Um, and what I mean by that is that we're not we're not confrontational people. Like if you take you know like Muslims, like you you know you know media like don't they they don't make fun of people that are Muslims, you know, and and we are taught to I guess turn the other cheek per se. You know, there's. I don't know if any depends I mean, on the media. Well, not only that, but if you asked Muslims how they feel in this country, and you can't tell me, I don't know, I'm not Muslim, so I cannot speak to them. Maybe someone that is Muslim, please leave in the comments how you would feel. But I would say that 
I think Muslim people would also consider themselves under attack, easy targets, those same words. And that's going back to what I said earlier, where I think a lot of religions would, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of religions, a lot of groups of people are going to feel like, oh, well, I'm the easy target and people are picking on me. I know people who are, you know, have left the LDS church and are now atheists and they feel like Mormons look down upon them and treat them bad for you know, leaving the faith, you know, and so whether you're in the faith or you're out of the faith, like everybody feels like they're being picked on in some Isn't way. Isn't that interesting? Like, is there anyone out there that feels like they're the majority is the question, right? Like, <laughs> Does anyone not feel, there you go, leave that in the comments. Leave it if you feel like you were just not picked on, you were just you're, you chilling. Did, you figured it out, you know, you have figured life out. You are the person that nobody picks on. That, <laughs> that, that's who we want to hear from. Yes. <laughs> Shows about us and, Musical, and musicals yeah. about us and okay, but not in not in a way that represents us truly for who we are. Right? Have you traditionally, as a religion, I mean, you you proselytize, you're out in the world, but something like this, you sort of stayed closed off maybe in the past, and now we're opening. Um, I do feel that that not not that we've stayed closed off, but I do feel like um, we're definitely opening a lot more. Uh, because we want the world to know that there's really no secrets. We, we make it known like, hey, this is what happens in the temple. Because before, I, I believe, when I was growing up, it was just kind of like, well, what happens in the temple? You know, you don't know what's going on back there. Like now, because of social media, because of how much you know, widespread information and, and how much uh, uh, how the church has been kind of put out in the limelight with people like Romney and again, the Book of Mormon musical. That was a huge thing. You know, like. I feel like the church has been trying to become really transparent. What I re- Yes there, and no. <laughs> yes. So there are definitely things that are becoming very transparent, and I don't want to sound negative towards the church in any way, but I do have to point out that just my perspective and what I saw, a lot of the things that they have become a lot more transparent about are things that were already coming out on social media. People were already starting to talk about these things. So... It seemed like the church felt like, you know what, we need to go and and talk about these things so that people can hear it from us instead of the people that are going and making videos of what's going on inside the temple and that kind of thing. They wanted to come in and show the world from their own perspective and what it actually means to them. Yeah, some of it was like PR cleanup almost, right? Mm-hmm. Like. When and I'm, I'm not trying out. to say that the church is bad for doing that. I'm just saying it seemed like some of this stuff was forced to become public. Yes. And it's definitely, I think almost everything that they've come out and been more transparent about is definitely a good thing. It's definitely good oh, yeah. to be more transparent. I know that even me 10 years ago going through the temple for the first time, like I had a temple prep class and it did not prepare me at all for what the temple was like. I felt very blindsided but i was like okay this is nothing like what i was expecting and i lived my whole life and like went to seminary went to all these you know church every single week and all these things and i thought i definitely should have been prepared and i wasn't and i do feel like now they are better preparing people to go through the temple which is a fantastic thing Mm -hmm. whether they did that in hindsight of like people leaving because they felt like it wasn't transparent or people coming out with youtube videos of things or this or that their reasoning behind it, I agree with you. I think sometimes it, you know, it kind of matches up with things that were going to come out on their own anyway. So they were trying to like either get a step ahead of it or they were just slightly behind the curve on it. But overall, more transparency is great. It's always good. Yes. It's always good. I um, hope that they continue to get more transparent, especially 
with their money, honestly. But the more transparency, the better. Yeah. And they've gotten way better over the last, I'd say even the last five years. Oh, big changes for sure. Realize the last few years when I'm with more religious people, Mm -hmm. they export a lot of their anxiety and stress. Almost it's in God's hands. Mm -hmm. And there's some freedom that comes with that. That's how I'm observing it. Because what's out of your control, you say it's in God's hands, and then you don't have to sort of deal with it in a way. Is that a good way of saying it? I think you still have to deal with it. Um, What you're, for me, I'm dealing with it is when I say, okay, I've done everything that I can do, and it's not working out. I've done as much as I can do, and I pray to God for help and... um, but also acknowledging it might not work out. Things might not get better, and I'm willing to accept that too. Um, and so we do put we put it in God's hands, but also mm-hmm. we don't just do nothing. Do you pray every day? Do you wake up and, and have a prayer? I say a morning prayer. In the evening, we pray together before we go to bed. Um, we read scriptures together, right, each year. We study one specific book. So this year for us is uh, in our church, we're studying the New Testament. So right now we're reading along the New Testament. We also read the Book of Mormon every day. I do my own personal readings and studies. My wife does. We pray for meals. We pray throughout the day okay. for anything. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there's not like a set amount that we have to do. Like everyone has their own personal thing. Like I wake up, I wake up, the first thing I do is I say my prayer to Heavenly Father, and then I have time with Him. I have a 30-minute time block that I just spend with Him where I'm in the scriptures, and I have no other distractions. It's less about rules, and it's more about relationship with God. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. Okay. Um, and then I have, like, you know, my daily stuff. I exercise, I go to work, come home. We have prayer as a family before dinner. Oh, we pray as a family in the morning. We pray at night. We read the scriptures as a family at night. We, David and I go to the temple once a month um, to worship. Everyone can go as often as they want or as little as they want. So, so you you all aren't very conservative members, I'm gathering. So you had classical an assumption. Dre- of- I, I thought you'd be in like more of a classical dress. Church on Sunday, you'll see women are like in mm-hmm. their dresses with like sandals, maybe a skirt and like a... Just cat, just whatever they want. No, this is how we learn. I ask a lot of yeah. dumb no, rookie questions based on your because, yeah. because we just don't know. Right. You know, if you're not involved, if you're outside of Utah. Sure. Yeah. I was asking someone the other day, how can you spot a Mormon on the streets? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Shirt and tie with a missionary. Like, yeah. With a yeah, tag. But the, the garments. So explain that to us. You all have clothes on underneath your t-shirts. So, it's okay. just like a Hanes white tee or what? Yeah, it can be. Okay. Yeah. I show you everything. There's, yeah. there's, oh, you can't well, you show. Can I'm find sorry. It online, okay. Though. Like the church has actually put it. But you're not supposed to show that, correct? They're sacred. Right. They are sacred. Okay. Sacred. Okay. And so we're what's... not supposed to wear clothing that shows them or reveals them. We're not supposed to take them off when we want to wear a certain dress or a certain skirt or just to, like recreation. We can choose to go without it, but then you're supposed to put it on yeah. right away. What's the significance out. of it? 
Sam, you want to take that one? I feel like the Not really. Okay. Break it down. So it's just it's just like a, it's an outward sign of an inward commitment. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. we we make we make covenants with God and we make certain promises with Him, and it's it's a sign of our commitment. Other religions, you know, they might wear a special hat or like a robe or something outwardly, or people often will wear a cross, you know, to show their commitment to Christ. And so ours is more about a personal inward commitment, just like what Sam is saying. And so it's considered sacred and personal. And that's why it isn't necessarily like a ton of hard and fast rules. Like we're, there are certain guidelines, but we Mm -hmm. also are wanting to make sure it's about the relationship. What did you say earlier? Relationship versus rules. rules. Yeah. The temple is huge in our religion. I told you this earlier. Um... Just wanted to point out that the garments are one of those things that the church has recently come out about and has given a lot more information. So, you know, even not not that many years ago, no one really knew anything outside of the church, at least. People outside of the church didn't really know anything about what the garments actually stood for. And or what they looked like at all. Or what they looked like. So the church actually did publish a video where leaders of the church explained what the garment is all about. So once again, one of those things where I feel like the church felt that uh, things were coming out and they wanted to give the explanation how how it needed to be in their eyes so that people could understand fully what they meant. Definitely, because I remember seeing stuff online, you know, obviously by people that we thought were ex-Mormon people trying to tear us down in some way that were sharing things about the garments. And so then the church did come out kind of with a, not a rebuttal, but like, no, this is what they are. This is what they mean. Here's what our temple clothes are. Try to get rid of the secrecy. And I don't know her name, but the, the lady here with glasses that served a mission, I guess, both of them have glasses. But the one that said that she served a mission, she kind of said exactly what the video from the church says, which is, you know, you'll see other religions that wear something on their head or they'll wear other kinds of robes. And that's we're just doing the same similar type thing that they're doing. It's a, an outward commitment of our of our relationship with God. Yep. We believe that families can be together forever. What is forever after this lifetime? Eternity. Okay. Yeah. Like there's no end. When you get married in the temple, you get sealed as a, as a family or, you know, if you don't have any kids, your kids are born into that covenant. So you make a lot of covenants in the temple. And, uh, one of those covenants is, you know, wearing your garments and it's, it, it is, uh, my wife says it really well. Like you're putting on Christ basically. When I put my garments on each day, I say to myself, just not like out of rope, but just to remind me putting on Jesus, putting on Jesus, and that he's with us all day, every day, protecting us. Second coming. Mm. That's (laughs) Joseph Smith was talking, I mean, since day one of the religion, right? (laughs) Talked a lot about the second coming. What are your thoughts on that? It's got me. (laughs) (laughs) So so it it didn't happen for 107 years, right? Every generation says it's going to happen. I'm so curious what they're going to say to this. What what is, like... Help someone that doesn't understand it to understand it. <laughs> Here's the, yeah, we believe the that Christ will be coming back. And like you said, we don't know when, and probably because it keeps us prepared at all times or uh, gives us that opportunity to always make sure that we're ready if it were tomorrow. How do you feel about that comment, babe? 
Oh boy! It keeps people prepared. Well, it's very or it true. Keeps them in fear. That's of very it true. Happening. I mean, I'll speak from my experience, and then you can share yours. But I'll speak from my experience from the FLDS, which was very much focused on, like Peter said, that Joseph Smith talked about it from the beginning. Very much focused on that, and then Brigham Young's teacher, teachings and the prophets after that. That that the and was near and that's something that they're not really saying here maybe they will later on but it wasn't just that the second coming was coming it was that it was at our doorstep it was now we need to be prepared now and so that's something that i feel like has changed over the years now you will meet with members of the mainstream lds church and they will talk about the second coming kind of like they are that yes no for sure the savior will come again and uh you know maybe it will be in this generation or multiple generations down the road nobody really knows but yeah we believe that he will come again that's a very different (laughs) mindset than it was in the early days of the church and the early days of the church is the mindset that the flds continue to hold on to and then, of course, Warren Jeffs twisted it all into a whole new thing here where he actually started making specific dates that this was going to be when it happened. And I think, like you were asking, that it all came down to, for Warren Jeffs, came down to fear, to control the people, to keep them in line and obedient to what he wants because they all fear that the end is near. Yeah, I'd say, so my childhood prophet was Gordon B. Hinckley, and I would say probably from him and on, it's gotten more vague as far as like, oh, we don't know when he's coming. We're just preparing in general. But I will say that I was constantly told that I was a chosen generation Mm -hmm. to bring in the dispensation of the fullness of times, meaning that the second coming, like we had to be the most righteous generation because we were chosen to usher in the second coming of Christ. And that that could only happen with our generation being righteous and doing the work and spreading the word and missionary work and all these things that have to happen was like basically on our shoulders. So I know people who were told like in their patriarchal blessings that they would be alive for the second coming even. Um, Very much just this idea of we are chosen generation, we're chosen generation, we're chosen generation was really emphasized a lot. I don't know if they're still saying that to like the next generation or like, you know, (laughs) to like our kids age. I don't know if they're still saying that or if now it's just more of a general preparation thing. Like I said, we never were told dates like Warren Jeffs. So how are you you ready? Uh, Just by trying to be like Christ and then... But as far as like um, tangible things, do you have like rations? Do you? Have, I, I was told people are prepared for a year of life. So food storage stuff. We're terrible at this, um, but yes, <laughs> just come over here. Many people. So everybody knows somebody that's always the joke of like, oh, if the second coming came, we'll just hop over to their house. We definitely have that. We're like, oh, okay, we just go to so-and-so's house. Like, it's kind of a joke in Utah. Like, not everyone has to be perfectly prepared because those who are uber prepared have enough for, like, the whole neighborhood. According to the video that Peter did with Brock, it's the old timers that have the food storage. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So many people in the church store their food for a year out, perhaps, if... 
for the second coming? It used to be two years. It was recommended to have a two-year supply, and yeah. um, over time, I think the the amount of time has changed the mm -hmm. recommendation, but the recommendation is still there too. And money, have savings, have savings, mm -hmm. gold, tangible things. If you want to, uh, yeah, the prophet just asks, like, counsels us to, like, live within your means, and have a good amount of savings. Self-reliance self self is a huge thing in the church. Yeah. So a lot of individual responsibility, even though you're a collective, a lot of individual responsibility. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I believe that one of the biggest, like, indicators of, of the prophet, you know, all the prophets having foresight of what's going on in the world, pandemic, like... Toilet paper, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of people at least within our community, weren't affected as badly as others, you know, yeah. uh, because of the fact that we have been told for many years. I mean, ever since I was little, I remember my mom always talking about being prepared and having food storage, and that's that's huge. Yeah, so we have a backpack for each of us in the garage that has, like, a, it's called a 72-hour kit, and we've got, like, yeah. a change of clothes, change of garments, change, you know, um, whatever you hygiene needs that you have a bunch of food we have tons of water bottles stored in the garage just throw it all in the trunk and just just go or sh you know shelter in your home it was kind of confirming like yeah. that's what he's saying that covid yeah. was like a, it was like a trial run like okay we followed the prophet we followed the council and we're not scared like we have what we need right here in our home and we can share too if we need to right and that would have sounded crazy a few years ago yeah. to most people and everyone's like yeah that makes sense <laughs> I work in commercial real estate development and one of the things that we believe is that as the second coming gets closer there's more temples going to be built up across the nations and the world oh yeah recently the church is um, experimenting with some architecture and development techniques there's going to be temples that can build up in two weeks modular temples are so you serious? Just look it up on the news. I mean, just don't quote me the exact, but it's they've got some modular temples going on. Two, Two weeks. weeks. It's prefab. Put them in different Is parts it gonna of the be world. like the tabernacle of Moses? Like carrying it like we can move no, it? No, it's uh. gonna be more like <laughs> in Mexico, just like the little just But it'll stay little... in that spot. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. See, you're seeing true reactions of something. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard wow, that? No, this is the first time I, I've heard that. Yeah, I definitely have not heard that. I also, I mean, I'm guessing it's way more cost effective too because temples are very, very expensive to build. Mm -hmm. And so that cost effectiveness would mean a ton. Yes, and some temples I have noticed have gotten smaller and uh, there's a lot popping up all over the place, which you hear about and you see as you drive around. So pretty common that they're building a lot of temples, but I had never heard about this modular pop-up in two weeks kind of thing. I wonder what the idea behind that is. Yeah, interesting. We'll have to hmm. look that up in the news. Yeah. I was just thinking about your question you asked earlier. Jen showed you in the scriptures the Pearl of Great Price. Abraham talks about numbering the uh, world without end, numbered as the sands of the sea. So we definitely believe that Heavenly Father has children. Uh, we're not the only ones. Uh, he has worlds without end. So there's 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 a a Peter maybe, <laughs> and a Sam in another world. You know, 
Uh, <laughs> multi- uh, the multi-bring <laughs> Spider-Man, not necessarily, but he has a world without end, and he has children, and he wants to bring them all home. So, genealogy, <laughs> huge. I mean, no one does it better than you guys, right? That's the truth. Oh, tell us. <laughs> the, the books, the books go, the books go deep. They do go deep. Yeah, it's a big part of our belief system. It, we just don't have missionary work for the living. We believe that uh, the dead are real people. You uh, believe the dead are real people? Yeah. yeah. That they, what do you mean? Like still, still alive? Exist. Yeah. Interesting. In the spirit world. In the spirit they're world. The okay. Yeah. And they're awaiting. <laughs> this, is, the, yeah. this is interesting. <laughs> Peter's they're, like, they're, they're, going like they're living on a compound zone? Uh, what do you mean? I, I was wondering if they, were, if they would talk about this. I'm glad they are. We'll oh, react they're as, soon going as, they, there. as soon as they do. Uh, I was just going to say, we, do, we have this huge missionary program where we go out and we share our beliefs with the living and we have a huge uh, missionary program that we do to help those who um, have passed on we have uh, it's a big part of our belief and that's why we have temples mm-hmm. is to do that work one of the for reasons those, mm-hmm. um, who can't do it for themselves so like be baptized on their behalf because baptism <coughs> is a saving required saving ordinance right yeah. okay. say. and also um, receive endowments on their behalf Yep. Right? Make those covenants, and then they can choose whether to accept it or reject it. So, like my father, my dad passed away in 2002 from cancer, and he wasn't baptized. We couldn't find his records at all. So, I did all his work. So, I I got baptized for him. It's all proxy. That's, that's what we call it. Um, I got baptized for him, and I got my endowments for him. And you know, he has the choice to accept it or not. That is telling a lot isn't it yeah that that is opening up a whole new aspect of the church beliefs and what life is going to be like on the other side yes one thing about one thing about temple work um sam and i have done a lot of temple work we used to go on monthly date nights as well to the temple and the only time that you're doing work and doing the covenants for yourself is your very first time through we you call it taking out your endowments and you're making those covenants for the very first time. Every time that you go thereafter, it's meant to be a reminder of the covenants that you made because you're remembering them, you're hearing them again, saying them, doing them again, you're going through those motions. But every time after that first time, it's going to be for somebody who is dead. And that is why they're so huge into genealogy. Yep. Because in order to do somebody's work, you need to know their name. <laughs> you know, yep. you need to know who they are or at least have their name um, in order to do the work. And so that's where the genealogy... I don't want to say fascination, but comes from. Um, obviously, there's no possible way to ever do the work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So they do believe that that's going to be happening in the millennium as well. But we are told that we are meant to do as much as we possibly can. Because after you die, there's two places you can go. You can either go to paradise or prison as we're awaiting the second coming. And in paradise is for those who have been baptized and who have those ordinances those beginning ordinances done have lived faithful to the end as well right yeah and endure to the end that's a part of it and that means that most people because again lds people make such a small percentage of the population most people go to spirit prison and the only way for them to get to paradise is there are like he said missionaries on the other side that are teaching the people in prison and then when their temple work is done if they choose to accept it and accept the baptism in those works then they can move to paradise while 
everybody awaits the same. And they very much believe that you actually have to do the actions. You have to be baptized as Jesus Christ was baptized. You have to do all of these things. And so that's why they do it as proxy, because the dead don't have their bodies. They believe that they have not been resurrected yet, so they do not have a body at this point. So they are having someone else do that work for them. This just seems so, I'm just realizing right now, this seems so, so, normal, like, to so normal to us. And I know that there are, are many of you out there that are saying, what? <laughs> what Their minds are might you? be being blown and we're like, yeah, you know. I know, I, I understand that. <laughs> but it is very much a part of the, the church belief and it's something you're taught about from a very young age. And so it's very, like they're talking about here over the dinner table, it's just a, a normal conversation. This isn't, this isn't anything new or strange. Well, even the youth of the church, you can go and do baptisms for the dead mm-hmm. when you are 12. Right. And so it's very common. Like when I was 12, I was so excited to finally be able to. And you do have to get a temple recommend, but it's a separate portion of the temple where you can go. You can be baptized for the dead. And when you go, you would be baptized for anywhere between 10 to 20 people at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, not in one immersion, per se, because there's baptism by immersion, right? But you they would say the prayer and you would be baptized by immersion for that person. And then they would say the prayer for the next person and you would get dunked basically 10 to 20 times for 10 to 20 different people per kid that was there and you would do it in sessions and then the rest of the temple all those ordinances you have to be endowed yourself first before you can go in as proxy for the rest but it's such a big part that even as a youth and as a teenager i went and did them all the time Mm -hmm. you know because that's your access to the temple and it's such a fulfilling process for a strong member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints because they literally feel like in their minds there is this person trapped in spirit prison. Mm-hmm. And they are giving them the opportunity to accept the gospel and the teachings of Christ by doing this work for them on this earth. And then when it is done, they believe that they will have the choice to accept it and then move on to spirit paradise. paradise awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ. You're giving someone the key out of prison yes, into paradise. Into it's paradise. huge. And not only that, but it's also very fulfilling because a lot of members of the church will do genealogy for and look up a lot of their ancestors. So they feel like that in a lot of cases, they are doing this work for a loved one or one of their ancestors and bringing them in and giving them that opportunity. And like she mentioned, it's not forcing them to accept, but it gives them the opportunity opportunity to accept or deny. But, you know, it, <laughs> the way it's all set up, if they're stuck in this prison that's this awful place, who's going to deny the key to get into paradise? I don't know, but it makes it seem that it's a very obvious choice that, of course, everyone's going to want this. Yeah. And like he was saying, getting to do it for his dad, we went and did it for my great-grandmother. Mm. I believe you got to do the baptism, right? Because the Melchizedek priesthood holder can do can actually perform the baptism. It doesn't have to be specific temple workers. I remember doing it for some of your family members. Yeah, yeah, so. it was my great-grandma. And so Sam actually got to be the person to baptize. Was it me or my sister that got baptized for my great-grandma? Either you or your sister, for sure. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Anyway, just meaning that it does mean a lot more like when it's a family member and you go and you literally feel like you're saving your family member in the eternities, in the afterlife. And so it's a very strong spiritual process. We understand what spiritual experiences these are because we also experience that doing work for people in the temple. So we understand how important it is. So yeah, definitely not. We're just trying to 
hopefully shed a little bit more clarity and go a little bit deeper into why it's mm-hmm. so important. But but going back to when we were there in that mm-hmm. moment, right? Very because special. of the because of the way we were taught, you know, it was just a a life changing, wonderful experience because that you literally believe that you are saving someone's soul. That's yeah. that's the belief behind it. Yeah. Do you believe that when you're baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that you become a part of the House of Israel? So the Jewish people through blood are already a part of the House of Israel. But we'd like... But Oh, I was just going to say, but they still need to be baptized. They need to be baptized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then all the Gentiles, when they convert, are also baptized into the House of Israel. The seed of Abraham. I didn't ever hear that they were baptized into the House of Israel. I thought that was done... During uh, patriarchal blessings, you were told which house or tribe of Israel you were part of. You were told, but... Yeah, but, but I've never heard that baptism is what put you into a house of Israel. Were you told that? Wait, did she say that at that moment... When you're baptized, you get to become part I of thought the house it was, of Israel. I, I thought that was dependent on your on your heritage. Yeah, same. Me too. So I've never heard that before, that when you're baptized, you become a part of the house of Israel. I had always heard that that was based on your heritage, and you would find out that heritage in your patriarchal blessing. In every beginning of a patriarchal blessing, it specifically states you are of the house of, like I'm from the house of Ephraim. And so they tell you your house and what tribe of Israel you're a part of, but I'd never heard that you were baptized into it. Right, yeah. Something for me to look up. Huh, I'm, I'm trying to think back and, and maybe, I don't know if she means that at that moment, is when you are assigned to a house or that or just that you be or that you are inheriting your rightful place in the house that you belong in. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to know what she means exactly by that. Let's see if she gives us more. Water back there? Is that what we're doing after? Are you going to baptize? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would, you like Would you like to be? Would you like to be? Exactly. You got a swimming pool? I have the keys. We'll pitch on the left and right. Missionary. We have a bathtub. I love it. too late. I love right? it. No, but to get to go and be in their home like you and to be in there, that's like, wow. The, I totally geeked out about that. The Hasidic, the Hasidic Jews. Jews. Yeah, any that was, any that was Jewish interesting. people. Yeah. yeah, that's not an easy group to get into because no. whenever a camera comes near, they're getting put under the bus. Oh. And I think a lot with less so with you guys, but there is some of that hesitancy with people worried like, oh, camera's coming in. They're going to show how crazy we are. We're part of a cult X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. And, and so people are guarded, understandably <clears throat> so. Right. I, I would be too. For sure. Right. For sure. Well, and I mean, like the 12 tribes of Israel is a big part of our religion too. So like, if you go into the temples, you'll see the baptismal font where we get your baptized, baptized for the dead. There's 12 oxen under it. Yep. Those each represents a tribe from the house of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And when we come to a certain age, we can get something called a patriarchal blessing from yep. our patriarchy. Here we go. It tells us what line or what lineage or what tribe we are from. So like, I'm from the tribe of Ephraim. Hey. hey. Anyone else wants to share, they can. But. I'm from Manasseh. Which are the break more Joseph's two sons, right? So the last oh, son Joseph had okay. Ephraim and Manasseh. Mm-hmm. So anyway, no dreams. <laughs> love you, Jewish people. Dude, love you. God's people. For real. How do you feel about those hmm. who have left? Here we go. It's sad. I have a lot of friends who have left the church. A lot of friends who actually helped me get back into the church that have left the church. Does that sever the relationship? Not at friendship? all. Friendship? Not at all. Huh? We, we can if you let it. Yeah. But we choose not to. Yeah. 
and and that's the crazy thing is is that a lot of some of those friends have actually been surprised that we have continued our relationship with them mm-hmm. because they're like oh well we thought that maybe you didn't want to hang out with us maybe because we don't believe anymore or we don't have the same beliefs as you do anymore so no no hard feelings not like, at all not at all they're like still my left, friends like, sadness you left the that's really awesome of them that they are like that people are worried whether or not it's going to happen because so often it does destroy relationships when you do leave the faith and then also sometimes it's uncomfortable when someone feels sad or pity on you it makes you uncomfortable to be around them if you think that they're just feeling bad like i've had people say that to me and they're like, oh i'm just so sorry for you i'm so sad for you and i'm like you don't need to be sad or sorry for me. Like everything's okay and we can continue to have a normal relationship. But when people feel pity or sadness for you all the time, it a lot of times it just affects their relationship with you, whether they want it to or not. And so it does cause these shifts in relationship if you're constantly feeling pity for someone and the person doesn't need pity or sadness. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to say is the first thing he says when when Peter asks him, you know, how do you feel about people that leave the church? I'm, I'm just so sad for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they realize that that makes it sound like that you believe that if they leave, they are living this sad, miserable life. That's what I was taught in the FLDS church. And it's not as strict the mainstream LDS church doesn't really teach that that as much that the outside world is is this big evil place because they're much more involved with people outside of it, of the church but at the same time the sadness like you said can cause some relationship issues because if you come across as like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm just so sorry for you, you know. Sometimes it almost feels condescending, depending on the person. Not for all the time, but sometimes it feels condescending. If you're like, oh, you poor thing, like I feel so bad for you. Like you'll the be way so much better off when you come back. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'll pray for you. Like I've had people say, I'll pray for you, and I'm like, I'll take all the prayers that anybody wants to give yeah. me. People send them to me. I'm all about it. Send me prayers. Send me brownies. I'm for it. <laughs> but. But sometimes, depending on the way that people portray that, it can destroy relationships purely because it feels, you know, condescending or like you're making the decision without enough thought. And normally it's very, very, very hard for people to leave their faith and their religion, especially within Mormonism. And so it makes it feel like you didn't get credit for the effort that you put into making that decision. Right, right. The family... I mean, sort of it, it, it's kind of like a sibling, you know, like if the sibling, like if you have a squab with your sibling, you know, with your sibling, I don't know if you have any brothers or sisters, but you'll still love them. We have all walks of life come through our doors, our home. We have gay friends. We have non-member friends. We have friends who have left the church or apostatized. Um, we have people who have never even known about the church, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> Is that we're all God's children and we should all treat each other with that same respect and love, period. You have a rough day and you the last thing you want to do is, is do anything for anyone else. But my wife always tells me, like, if you're having a crappy day, go out and help someone. And it's going to turn your day around. And that's, that's, I Amen. Think I agree that's with that. a lot of, that's something that a lot of people don't understand about our, our faith. Is, is we're here to fellowship and we're here to help and it's like core it's like in us it's It's in eight yeah it's in eight in a i don't know it's ingrained in us that that's that's 
trying to be like the savior, like being with anyone and everyone and just loving them. Church members do do a lot of service. I I mean, like some of your Mm -hmm. questions that you've had today have kind of made me think that you have had the assumption that we're more of like a closed off private religion, but it's actually the opposite ingrained within our core system is to outreach. I wanted a missionary service. It was more of a family tradition, right? More of a family pressure. And I didn't understand why I went at the age that I went. And as I grew older, I've been able to really value what I have. And you ask a lot of, there's a lot of people in this world that are craving some sort of hope. And when I share hope with people, I just feel good. I just want to share what I have and help other people because I've been helped before in my life. I was in really dark times and people reach out a hand to me and they help me out. So that's why I want to do it. It's, it's, I feel like it's my responsibility to reach out to others that are struggling. Even when you're not in your mission? Even when I'm not on my mission. Okay. I get cranky and I'm not a perfect human being, but I, I do believe in helping others. And I'm just so much happier when I help others. You fast every month? Yeah. Yeah, we, so we do it every, it's the first Sunday of the month. Um, and we do it, it can be for anything you need. So like for me, I have a really good friend of mine who just lost his job and I was actually fasting for him yesterday. Um, and, and for our daughter, if you know, whatever the situation, like if you have somebody that's, that's close to you, that's sick or afflicted or. Even just to give yeah, thanks. To give just thanks. To, give thanks. Uh, to, you know, when I was uh, going through my master's degree, like I was fasting all the time because I needed to pass specific classes. That That's I, accounting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, you don't have to wait, you know, once a month. Like you can do it anytime you want. But at the minimum, you fast once a month? Yeah. For As a congregation. Lo- yeah. yeah. For how long? It's uh, two meals. So it's about an equivalent, equivalent of two 24 hours. And whatever you don't need, you. Donate that money. Yeah. It's called fast offerings. Okay, like whatever you, you would have spent for those meals, and that money goes to help like the poor and the needy. Okay, and then ten percent of all income goes to tithing. Yeah, goes to the church. Scriptures, printing of scriptures, yeah. building of temples, helping missionaries, garments, church buildings. We, we buy our own garments. garments. How much are garments? Just like three fifty like a piece. Bucks. Like three fifty. Three fifty. Yeah. Okay. So there's no profit margin mm-hmm. on that. No. <laughs> no tax. A lot of our a lot of our leaders don't have a payroll. I mean, our bishop or leader, he's got a regular job. So yeah, it's all volunteers. volunteers. Yep. Like your calling. Yeah. So and he's he's in the bishop. Yeah, sure. Oh, cool. So if it, if it was, uh, like, so, when will you be a bishop? Yeah. I was just going to say, people are probably like, why are these people laughing? It's kind of a joke that like, well, it's an honor to be in a bishopric and that's a very high calling, like in a congregation. At the same time, almost nobody really wants it because it's so much responsibility. It isn't paid. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time away from your family. Right. And so that's why they all start laughing. Like he's in the bishopric and everyone kind of laughs. And, and it's an ongoing joke, I'd say. And a lot church. of you probably don't even know what, what they mean by a bishopric. So uh, there's a bishop over a congregation, which is kind of like a pastor. Mm-hmm. And then he has a counselor. Two counselors. Uh, two counselors. He has a first and a second counselor. 
typically, if you are one of those counselors, you they refer to you as in the bishopric. So he's probably the first or second counselor to the bishop of the congregation. And basically, he's there in most of, if not all of the meetings with the bishop. And he's very involved with all of the bishop's uh, duties and meetings. So when he says, hopefully never, <laughs> it's... Uh... He sees what the bishop is dealing with, probably. <laughs> That's gonna be on the trailer. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> so there. Okay, that's some dark humor. I like it, but why never? <laughs> um, it's a lot of work, and it's uh, like our current bishop. He puts in thirty hours a week, and he's constantly visiting other people. And I just, I, he's got a lot of energy. I don't. Know you like your, on. you like your eight or uh, eight hours of sleep. Or I get like four, but yeah. You get four. <laughs> so why are you, why are you doing it then? Do you have to do it? No, it was uh, a calling, and it's voluntary, and it was you were asked to do it, and so. Uh, a calling, we need to don't say no to callings in our family. So. <laughs> That's, I was going to say yeah. calling. So people might be like, okay, he said that it was voluntary, but he said it's a calling. So a calling is when somebody, you can get callings on the local level that'll be from the bishop. If it's for a bishopric, then that would mean a stake president. So a stake president is over the bishops of the wards, multiple wards in a stake, stake president's over them. He would, you know, pray about who a good bishop would be for a certain area or for a certain congregation. And when they're making callings, it's basically what they believe to be inspired decisions of who should be in leadership positions. Yeah. So he says, in our family, we don't say no to callings. Well, if you're, a strong, if you're a strong, faithful member of the church, that's going to be your rule of thumb. Because he, he believes when, when the stake president came to him and said, we prayed about this, God told us that you are that he wants you to be a part of the bishopric, the first or second counselor to the bishop. How do you say no to God, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's a it's a it's more it's even if he didn't want to, he probably would still say yes because he feels that that is his duty and that is what God is asking of him. And I've heard that that's changing more within the church that there are people who are starting to like say no, I can't do that. Me growing up, nobody said no to a calling. It was yep. not a thing you did. It didn't matter how hard. It didn't matter how much you had going on in your life. You don't say no to callings. So obviously he was raised like that as well. And so for him to specify, like in our family, we don't say no, meaning that they're faithful enough in their faith that if somebody's inspired that they should be in a leadership position, they believe it is coming from God and they're going to fulfill that. Yep. Um Yep. But I have heard that more and more people are starting to say no. So we'll see if that kind of progresses and changing. changes Things within are the changing. church. Yeah. It's part of the law, law of consecration. Yeah. We will devote our talents and resources to building up the kingdom yeah. of God. It's not easy, man. I mean, I don't. I don't want to aspire to be a bishop, man. Like, hey, I'm good. I mean, <laughs> my, my wife is in the she's a primary president, so she takes care of like it's a all big the calling. children of the you know of our ward. I'm the financial clerk, so I I work really close with him. We you know I I. I see everything that happens, like financial wise. Like, I, I he cut processes checks, tithing. Tithing, yeah. you know, people need, you know, food or, or their rent paid, or bills paid. I, I do all that. And Sam was actually in the bishopric too. Yeah. I'm a primary teacher now. He's a primary teacher. <laughs> 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 I'm a 
gold is the best kept secret. <laughs> That's the goal of everybody who's ever been in a bishopric. There's like, please let me be in primary because primary is fun. It's where the kids are. But primary president is a huge job. Oh, yes. Especially if it's a big ward where there's a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. In that case, it's a very big responsibility. But teaching primary is like the goal dream of, I think, every single couple in the, right. <laughs> in the church. <laughs> you don't even know. Primary is the best. Primary is the best. man. Okay. It's next to little kids and you yeah. still do as well. And Megan works with the young women. Yeah. Yep. I work with the teenage girls. Uh, what, what do you do with them? I We have activities and we just basically hang out with them. Yeah. <laughs> we about just teach them and just hang cool. out. Do you like it? I love it. That's I cool. absolutely love it. So the church is at 17 million worldwide. What What would be your dream? I don't know, it's not my church, man. It's God's church. (laughs) (laughs) My dream would be a world that's at peace, like, Mm -hmm. but it starts within ourselves. And so I maybe can't go out and make a huge difference in a whole community, a city, a nation, but I can start with myself. If I've got a good relationship with God, then I can work on my marriage with Ben and then work on our children and then serve in church or in the community and gradually it grows outward but that's my dream regardless of whether everyone is you know a member of my church or not i i i want to see peace and harmony and support for each other that we can lift each other up we can come closer to god regardless of of the specific faith or religion yeah we can find common ground yeah we can find commonality for sure because we uh and hold the hold this too okay so so what what are we doing here this is the why this is the byu the football team oh okay got it got it is that is that the picture yes <laughs> All right, guys, so the, the party's over. Is there any ceremony or anything that happens? <laughs> we hug. We hug, there we go. Well, we started. Yeah. I just make people hug me. You could do a closing prayer if we were at church. You could have a closing prayer. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like it's it. okay if I record this, right? Yeah, yeah of okay. course. Honey, who do you want do to you say, want the, say prayer? the prayer? Yeah, no problem. Before they start the prayer, it's very common that the priesthood holder of the home decides who is going to say the prayer. So did you notice she said to her husband, which is very common, like the wife a lot of times be like, honey, who do you want to say the prayer? And the priesthood holder decides who's going to be praying in the home. Yes, that's very, even more so in the FLDS where I was raised, but even in the mainstream LDS church is, I, I think in every family I've ever been in, yeah. It's always that way. And if it's a congregation where multiple families are involved, then if the bishop is there, then the bishop would be the one. You know, whoever is the priesthood leader, that person that has the priesthood authority in the home, which in this case would be the father of the home, mm-hmm. is in charge of choosing who says the prayer. But just in case anyone was wondering why she didn't decide, right. you pass that over to your priesthood head. Yep. In heaven, we are grateful that we get to get together as friends and grateful for this uh, chance that we have to share our beliefs. And we ask you for Palestinian and Israelis that, that are struggling at this time, please bless them. Bless those who are hungry and struggling at this time. And please bless the leaders of our nation so they will be able to make 
good choices for um, people and please soften the hearts of um, those who have been away from from the end that uh, we say these things in the name of thy son jesus christ amen amen, amen. thank you brother. thank you guys Thank you. That was awesome. Aww. You were great. You were great, to you. great to meet you. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Good luck with the the bishopwork. Is that what you said? Bishop Bishopwork, okay? Dave, you made this happen. Without you. So without you guys, just so you know, without you guys, people like you, open people, willing to share. We would learn nothing. So just like you love the Hasidic Jewish videos, yeah. that family did a service for you. You've now yeah. done a service for many other people. That's Thank awesome. You. Yeah. All right, guys. Nos vemos. Cuídense. Instant friend, huh? Instant friend. We're going to go to a Manal concert together. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for coming along. Until the next one. Alrighty. That was fun. I mean, it's just, again, I still feel like it just felt like we were right at the table, which is what Peter does so well, right? Just making you feel like you're just at the dinner table yeah. talking with people. Super fun. Again, remember, it just reminded me of being at a Mormon dinner with any of my family or it's friends. Very and typical, very traditional, I guess you could say. But yes, that was interesting. I, I feel like there was one last thing they said towards the end that I wanted to talk about, but I forget what it was, so I apologize. But uh, please feel free to ask any more questions you might have about this below, and we will try to get to those uh, questions as soon as we can. Yes, and if you want to hear more of what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy or us react to fundamental Mormon beliefs or Mormonism in general, then please like and subscribe and let us know in the comments below other videos, other creators that you want us to react to their videos. Just yeah. let us know. Yes. Thank you all so much for being with us again today, and we look forward to talking with you soon. We'll talk to you all soon.